0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast, broadcasting live from Wheat Ridge, Colorado, the home of the champions. It is June 3rd, 2021, and this is our 81st episode, and it is a very special episode because today we have a guest all the way from London, England, travel writer Emily Frost. How are you this morning, Emily?
1: Hi, I'm good, thank you, although it's my afternoon, but (laughs) I'm I'm feeling good. I'm feeling the morning energy nonetheless. (laughs)
0: And Michael, how are you?
2: I'm doing fine. It's uh, morning in Denver, Colorado, and it's a beautiful day. And I'm excited uh, with, to uh, welcome our guest and to uh, have, a, have a talk with our guest.
0: Yes, indeed. So would you like to start by telling us just the 100-mile view about yourself, Emily, so that our, our listeners can sort of wrap their head around the information and knowledge you're about to impart to us over the next hour? <laughs>
1: And, and why I'm here on the podcast. <laughs> um, yes, thank you. I, um, I'm Emily Frost. I'm um, a well, I'm a travel writer largely, um, as well as digital marketing um, officer um, from London. And I, um, yeah, I write a lot for various different publications about different kinds of aspects of travel and some other bits and pieces as well. Um, and I'm here on the podcast because um, Michael and David came across one of my articles. Um, and used it as a basis for a recent episode, um, which is just one of those lovely serendipitous things that happens in life, um, which was about mini golf courses. So I think all three of us are big mini golf fans. It turns <laughs> out we have that in common. Um, but yeah, so obviously it's been a bit a bit of a strange time for me in uh, lockdown, not being able to really properly do any sort of travel writing, um, but I've made it work. um and yeah i think that's probably a good summary of who i am
0: so yeah so a year without travel as a travel writer did you spend a lot of time yes looking at your next adventure oh while Uh, you while you were (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) a hundred percent yes i did so i started off oh sorry you go
0: oh and uh do you know where that's going to be where's the first place you'll go
1: Um, Well I do actually because I think (laughs) the first place I'll go will be um, Scotland, the Highlands of Scotland. I've actually just booked that as a trip. I'm going to go with my two best friends and we're going to drive up to probably the Isle of Skye I think and um, just basically explore the Isle of Skye and the Highlands, um, drive around and stay in some very rural rustic accommodation, go swimming in the locks, all of that kind of stuff because I think what we've all had to do during the pandemic is scale our travel inwards um, and more localised, more domestic, COVID passports and the like, to go and visit, so that's where I'm. I'm going to go.
0: That sounds awesome. I have never been to the what Highlands of Scotland. We're traveling oh, to, a, never? I, I've been to Edinburgh and Glasgow, but uh, never to, I, I would love to see, I didn't have time when I was there to to explore the wilderness. So I stayed in the cities, which were very beautiful, but uh, I would have liked to see the, the natural splendor that is Northern Scotland.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I have only been to Edinburgh as a child, so I would definitely want to go back there as well.
0: Yeah, it's a, it. I, it was one of my favorite places that I've actually ever traveled to. Just everyone was so friendly and nice, and the Royal Mile was nothing but bars and restaurants. So I can wrap my head around that. Well, uh, well,
1: it's so cool. It's a it's a lovely city.
0: Our first trip will be. Oh, we're going to a wedding. A uh, family member is getting married later this month, uh, in the Pacific Northwest. So, we'll be staying.
1: Oh wow.
0: In Clay Ellum, which is outside, about an hour outside of Seattle. But I'm excited. I don't know if you've ever seen the 1990s television show, Northern Exposure. But they filmed it.
1: <laughs> I haven't.
0: In a town called Rosalind, Washington. And so you can go to Rosalind, Washington, and it's like you're walking around in that television show. Um all the landmarks from the little town that was on the television show are still there in Roslyn, Washington. So we may actually take a little day trip while we're out in the Pacific Northwest and see Roslyn, Washington. It's very uh, big trees, lots of rain, but I, it's an enjoyable place, the Pacific Northwest.
2: The, uh, yeah, that
1: sounds lovely. The
2: show Northern Exposure was supposed to be a, a small town in Alaska, in the state of Alaska, where... It was very unusual, uh, very uh, unique, and separate from other cultures, and uh, they just had their own little culture. And it was a great, it was a great show. So we really liked it. It was uh, a little bit off center, uh, and uh, we we really enjoyed that. So it's going to be that's going to be fun, and uh, I think we're gonna, they're going to see the the Pacific Northwest, which is again a lot of foliage, a lot of dense uh uh forests uh unlike uh the um uh, desert
1: <laughs> yeah definitely that's a, are you both going to this wedding
0: yes it's a close family member my brother he's getting married so oh lovely so it's exciting and i think that a lot of people preempted their wedding plans during 2020 so i feel like they're going to be going like gangbusters for twenty twenty one and beyond. Like our, yeah, my
2: daughter right. My daughter, she's going to what five weddings this summer.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's got a full social wow. calendar.
2: So yeah. And this will be one That's of them.
1: That's pretty
2: really
1: fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, weddings are a good way to um to get some some travel in, I yeah, find. To force uh, yourself to travel. This year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for sure.
2: Uh, where would you like to go that you haven't gone?
1: Well, um, I don't know if, I, I mean, we. I don't know how much you, you guys know about this being in the USA, but we've recently had um, published our list of travel destinations that are, we, we're we sort of using a traffic light system here in the UK. So depending on the color of the destination, um, it's it, it kind of uh, pertains to like what sort of COVID precautions you have to take. So if a country's on the green list, you can go there um, and you can you can go there and all you need to do is have um, like a COVID test before and after you get back. Um, and then the red list is just countries where you, when you uh, arrive back in the UK you have to quarantine in a hotel. so' they're, they're pretty um, pretty like you know unattainable. Um, but one of the countries on the green list is Portugal which is obviously a huge, you know, a, a very popular place for um, Brits to go on holiday as, as you know, in normal circumstances. Um, but one of the places that I've always wanted to go is a group of islands called the Azores. I don't know if you've heard of them. Mm-hmm. They're just off the coast of um, Portugal. Well, I say they're just, they're quite far off the coast of Portugal, actually. I think they're quite far out into the Atlantic. Um, and obviously they are owned by Portugal and so I hoped maybe that because I'm on the green list I might be able to go but because you're having to take these um these PCR COVID tests the price is just going through the roof so it's kind of almost becoming a bit a bit pointless to go but um that that's somewhere I would love to go as soon as I'm able um and also Georgia the country as well not the state um Mm -hmm. I would really love to go there too, just because the hiking um, looks absolutely amazing. Tbilisi, the capital, looks really cool um, and just very like visually beautiful. Um, so yeah, those are two places that are high up on my bucket list.
0: That's that's fascinating. My brother works. He works at a chocolate factory, and his boss. Uh, oh wow! Takes a month in Tbilisi, every year. And he says it's the most beautiful place no he's way. ever been. Yes. And it's his favorite place to travel. Oh. And he basically uh, exclusively travels to Georgia. It's fascinating because I've never heard of anyone going to Georgia except for him until you mentioned going there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's so cool. He goes there every single year. Yeah. He
0: takes, uh, I think, a month every summer. And he uh, heads out there and he does the hiking. And he says he loves the culture. He loves the people. And he loves the the natural wonder that's available to him there.
1: Oh wow um, they also do a um I've seen one of their sort of popular kind of snacks is like a bread that has cheese and egg kind of baked into it and <laughs> nice. um, you know I mean you can't go wrong can you <laughs> <laughs> Just sounds beautiful so yeah Georgia that's definitely on my hit list for sure
0: that sounds like the British concoction what do they call it a a Cornish pasty Have you ever heard of that yeah <laughs> <laughs> Is that similar or? (laughs)
1: Yes, (laughs) Um, it is. It is similar. A Cornish pasty is, um, well, obviously originated from Cornwall, um, an area of the UK. And um, it is it's pastry rather than bread, but it it kind of folds around um, a a filling, which is often kind of meat filling, spiced. Um, I think cheese and onion is a very popular one, too. But yeah, it is a similar a similar vibe. But I think the Cornish pasty was made um, a bit of history for you as a snack for um, miners originally because um, it has like a crust. And so they would hold the crust to eat it so that their sort of um coal-y messy fingers didn't get all over the actual pastry. So they could just hold the crust and that would be like a buffer for their hands. <laughs> so, yeah, I know that about pasties.
0: <laughs> that's That's on my bucket list. I'm going to eat a Cornish pasty before I pass from this earth.
1: I'll send you one in the post.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you have any questions, Michael?
2: Uh, Well, the um, (laughs) one thing that that we mentioned, uh, and I mentioned to you, uh, Emily, that I thought would be fasting. uh, I know here we love food. Food is one of the favorite things uh, that uh, it's a social, it's uh, healthy. Uh, but uh, when you go to places, uh, what do you look for? Do you look for for sites? Do you look for like history or do you look for culture, society, uh, or food?
1: Well, I, that's a good question. I think different answers for different trips, really. Like sometimes you, you know, a, a common thing to do in the UK, and I'm sure also in the USA, but for us, obviously, it's easier because we have Europe right on our doorstep to just go to a different country. It's much easier than for you guys. It's a much shorter hop across. So what we will do a lot is go for, and this is, of course, pre-pandemic, is a, uh, to go for what we call, you know, like a city break or a weekend break. And you just go for a couple of nights and stay in a, a city and just really kind of hit it hard. You know, see all the sights, do all the things, eat all the food, nightlife. That's one type of trip. Um, but I like to also do uh, some more like slower trips, which I think is what the Scotland trip will end up being, where the focus is more on just being in nature and just... Um, yeah like walking walking hiking biking canoeing kayaking swimming all of those things and just really kind of soaking soaking it in so I think um I look for all of those things in a travel destination but um it's hard to find one that ticks every single box but um yeah I think different trips have different aims I did a a lovely trip in Italy um a few years ago which was just purely for the scenery, purely for the glamour. We went to the Amalfi Coast, um, which is just absolutely stunning. It's one of those places where it looks exactly how you want it to look or how you've imagined it looking. Um, it was incredibly crowded, though. That's that's the downside. And that's one of the problems with travel that we're seeing a lot. But um, obviously, it hasn't been lately. <laughs> and if I could yes. go there, now would be a good time. But unfortunately, I don't. I don't know what list it's on, but <laughs> I won't be going there anytime soon.
2: What continents have you, I mean, it sounds like you're you've been to a lot of places. Uh, where What uh, area would you like to go to that you haven't been? Like you have the Pacific, it sounds like you did a lot of Atlantic. What about the Pacific uh, or South America or Alaska or Africa?
1: Well, yeah, Africa is a continent that I haven't, I haven't traveled to, uh, well, not even anywhere near extensively. I've only been to uh, Morocco, actually, in Africa, and I um, actually hitchhiked to Morocco, (laughs) which was uh, quite an experience. Um, Where did you hitchhike from? uh, From the UK. (laughs) Okay, so Um, did you
0: get to like Gibraltar and hitch a boat across?
1: yeah essentially or okay. uh, we went from Al Jazeera but yeah basically but of course obviously we also had to cross the the channel from the UK into France and then through France through Spain and eventually into Morocco so you got um, across the Mediterranean I just
0: I imagine like hitchhiking in the American sense is your thumb out and you're on the road I was like don't you have oh, to yeah. go across some oceans to get to Morocco <laughs> 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 or
2: some bays or channels or something
1: yeah you uh, you absolutely do um but what we would do is we would get you know um we'd get onto the boat and once we were on the boat we would like, like search out our lifts for the next leg of the journey but um we were doing it for charity so we were able to get like you know free tickets and things like that um it was yeah that was an experience for sure we didn't like when we were in morocco we drew the line there were, were but, you um, uh, we were you creating tangier which is on the coast
0: Were you doing content creation while you were hitchhiking? Like, did you have cameras or were you writing articles about it for a blog or anything like that? Or was it, we'll do the hitchhike first and then report on it afterward?
1: Yeah, it was that one, really. I was obviously making notes and stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, but I did that when I was quite young. So that was actually pre my, it was when I was at uni, actually, when I was at university. So it was pre my career, really really starting <laughs> but it gave me some good material to fall back on for sure definitely um, but yeah i would love to i would love to travel in africa absolutely would love to it's i mean it's absolutely huge obviously it's i think it i um, i don't know if i know for sure that it's the biggest continent but i feel like it's you know if not, not the biggest definitely one of um and there's such diversity um from north africa to you know, to to south east west, there's just completely different um, cultures, and it yeah. I I, I need to because it's not even it's not too far from the UK to get to Africa either. So it would be it would be a fairly you know easy trip to plan. But that's definitely one to to look to the future on. Have you have either of you ever been?
0: I've never been to Africa, um, mm-hmm. and I maybe someday. I think I might start with the obvious, you know, Marrakesh, Morocco maybe even Egypt well Egypt has had some political instability South Africa and to to go to I don't know the Democratic Republic of the Congo or Nigeria I would be a little bit more wary just because of the political situations there but I feel like yeah. it, it would be kind of cool to just be brave and go headlong there as long as you had a plan and uh, the right people on the ground to help you I don't think that there would be anything wrong with that it's just I would would be a little scared about setting up the logistics of going to some place where there are levels of crime and uh, my overall physical safety might be more in doubt.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, there are definitely some areas of Africa, certainly in the central region, that are quite unstable and um, also Somalia and Mm -hmm. places like that, I know, for for sure. But, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think places like, you know, Tanzania, Kenya, obviously have a huge tourist industry and safaris and that kind of thing and uh, of course South Africa as well but I think Namibia has always appealed to me um it just looks it's got that incredible um I I think it's called I don't know how to pronounce it because I I guess it's a Dutch derived word but like sousaflé or something it's it's just a stunning kind of desert scape and I think it also has the skeleton coast um which is just like obviously replete with skeletons that you can just drive past and it just, it just looks really useful. I'd love to go there.
0: Replete mm-hmm. with what, what type of skeletons?
1: <laughs> All sorts. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think mainly animals, but okay. also I think okay. has, um, <laughs> yeah, human skeletons would add a slightly more macabre. <laughs>
2: yes,
0: yeah, so it would be a quite a drive, I would say if
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the whole coast was human um, skeletons. Like, <laughs>
1: Yeah, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be that nice. But I think it also has uh, shipwrecks as well, running down it. So which yeah, which is obviously quite cool to see. But yeah, a little bit sinister. Um, but yeah, I think I would love to go there and and you know places on the west coast like Ghana and the Ivory Coast and places like that.
0: I would love to go to Ghana I think, yeah, and Senegal. There's, there's so much because I'm I'm a musician yeah. and I like I mean I, I love Nigerian juju music, but also like the music of like you said Ghana. Ivory Coast, Senegal. There's just some great music coming out of there, and I love to see it, like where it occurs. Not yeah. some guy that got famous and was able to travel to the West. That's that's cool too, you know. The Senegalese musician that's that's here in Denver at my local theater, but I think it would be sort of more authentic to go to a little club, you know, in Ghana and and see the local musicians play there. That would be that would be what I would do on my trip personally.
1: <laughs> that sounds like a great trip like a trip that could really get out of hand in the best kind of way. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) It's fascinating. We were talking about when we were discussing what we would talk about today, you know, as a travel writer, there's different ages, just, you know, my father, Michael, Michael and myself, there's different interests. There's people who like the outdoors, who like physical activity, who may like skiing or snowboarding here in Colorado. And then there's those who don't. And, When he was talking about what we could talk about about Denver, he was saying, what about the cultural attractions, the art museum, the natural history museum? And I was saying, well, I think that in London, their museums are better than Denver's. So it's, I mean, I know it's (laughs) apples and oranges. (laughs) I know it's apples and oranges, (laughs) but being like a cosmopolitan, you know, one of the meccas of culture of the Western world. Uh, I mean, we're proud of our museums here and I'm sure that like our Mesoamerican art collection or Indian art collection may be perhaps superior to, to some of the museums in London. But so uh, when you go to a place, how do you sort of temper as a travel writer, you know, all tastes are all interests. Do you just sort of write articles based on specific interests and then just keep creating content uh, to sort of cover all your bases? Or do you, do you think about, well, some people won't be able to do this?
1: um that's a that's a very good question I think um so I, th- I think there's two kind of streams of content that you kind of have in mind when you go traveling you could or to write about it you can either err uh, on the side of a very very niche writing that you that is is about a very specific aspect of a culture or a place that you're visiting or you can go down the more um to use a a very uh <laughs> current term clickbait type of uh content which um is it tends to be more listicle format so i think that's probably more like the one that um that you guys were reading about the the crazy gulf that's very much like you know let's get nine of these things and put them in one article and, mm-hmm. and it's it's good seo i mean obviously the seo was pretty good because you guys found it straight away mm-hmm. um and but yeah there are other articles that i write that are much more focused on certain yeah certain niches um one of the one of yeah, one of the articles that I've written that I think was most interesting or that I found most interesting was one about how um, I'm, I'm also, I also really am into craft. <laughs> so I really, I like, I knit and I crochet and that sort of stuff. Um, and I wrote an article about cultures that, that have like a handicraft, um, to use a <laughs> pun intended, woven into their identity. So they're almost like an ancient craft that um, is still alive and well today and is part of the culture today. Um, And so I I looked at things like uh, I think top of that list is um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the there's a tribe in Indonesia, not Indonesia, the Philippines um, called the Kalinga tribe. And they their tattoos are sort of world famous for how intricate they are and the meanings they have. And they have this woman. I'm sure she's still alive. I think she's 104 now. Um, She must be. She must be. Yeah, something like that. Um, She is the oldest traditional Kalinga tattooist, um, or certainly the oldest traditional Kalinga tattooist, but she's also, I think, the last one in the world um and our uh, I wrote an article where she she was kind of like one of my main focuses and also there's places like the Faroe Islands where knitting is such an important part of their social interaction so people will um, get together for knitting groups and that will be how they socialize and they form communities and they form this like beautiful um these beautiful patterns of knitting and those have been passed through generations so that's you can go very much down that route with your travel writing and you just have to accept that you know it's not necessarily going to be read by everyone (laughs) Mm -hmm. um or you can or you can focus very much on the other kind which is um yeah a more a more um clickbait listicle type vibe where you where you collect lots of things and have one central topic
0: yes but you could be the queen of knitting and crocheting travel articles (laughs) You know, I, I the, think I am. To be yes. Honest. <laughs> I mean, but there is, I mean, millions of people in this world that knit and crochet. And mm, there's there a huge are. Venn diagram of those people that travel and they say, wow, there's there's a whole community. There's a whole world out there that enjoys the same passion that I do uh, and the same overlapping. passion." That's the fascinating thing about sort of creating content for the Internet. It can be as niche as you want it to be. And there will be people out there that are like, I really identify with this. This, is, yeah, this speaks definitely.
1: to me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you guys, when you did, a, you did a whole episode on mini golf, there's some real diehard mini golf fans out there. Mm-hmm. And I'm sh- sure they absolutely loved that episode. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: that's, yeah, that, and that's the beauty of the, of the Internet, because uh, you might have a passion and you might have a, just a spattering of people around you. But once you get on the Internet, the world is a big world. There's a lot of people out there. And a lot of people probably have the same passion you usually do. All you have to do is connect with them.
1: It's so true. It's so true. And um, yeah, I think writing is a great way to do that.
0: And I think discussing travel is great because everyone's reminded of their own travel experiences. Like this pales in comparison to the 104-year-old lady doing traditional tattoos to tell a story. But (laughs) we visited my sister. She was in medical school out in Massachusetts. And we got a hotel. It was just a holiday inn. And we check into the hotel. And it happened to be the same weekend as the New England Basket Weavers Society annual (laughs) gathering.
1: What are the chances?
0: And so the whole hotel was filled with craft basket weavers. And in the ballroom, it was filled with handmade baskets that people had made by hand. And everyone in the lobby was talking about basket weaving. And... It's just fascinating to see this world where all of a sudden you're like a fly on the wall and everyone around you knows way more about basket weaving than you
2: ever will.
1: (laughs) That's so true. I bet that was quite eye-opening for you.
2: Yeah. I thought it was interesting. (laughs) You walk in the room and there's all these people in the room and you think, oh, okay, uh, no one notices you (laughs) because they have their basket in front of them. (laughs) Their basket is a lot more important than you walking through the room. (laughs) It was yes, fascinating. Yeah,
1: it I can imagine. <laughs> Did you, were fine. you tempted to take it up yourself?
0: No, but I was tempted to buy a basket. I just don't know how well baskets would travel. And the mm-hmm. handmade baskets look an awful like, lot like the ones you can buy at Walmart. I don't know what the British equivalent of that is, like Tesco or something. Um, uh, yeah, Asta. Asta. They look like those, but they are hundreds of dollars because someone, you know weave the basket so it was like oh this is a nice basket but i don't know how i'm going to take it back on the plane and you know and a a lot of times with handicrafts it's sort of a personal connection you make with the crafter that's like one of the reasons you'll buy it you're not really buying it for value for money because the 20 hours they put into it you know if they sell it for 500 bucks it's still only 20 dollars an hour or whatever so Mm
1: -hmm. yeah that's so true it's something that I I um, have problems with a lot. If I try and sell anything I've made, you know, people either understand as as you clearly do that your time has a value, or they don't, and you know, it, like, <laughs> you, you struggle to sell things for that reason. But I understand why you didn't buy a basket.
0: Yes, I'm I was. Me. It was I, I. didn't walk into the holiday and expecting to spend half a month's rent on a basket uh, on that <laughs> trip.
1: No one ever does. <laughs>
2: But if you can buy a basket from someone who made it, that connection, uh, sometimes you're not paying for the basket, you're paying for the connection. And, uh, we've done that. We've done that before. My dad used to do it all the time. Uh, we used to travel. I remember we used to travel and he would buy Indian blankets, blankets from Native American Indians. And, uh. My mother says, What do you do with the bank blankets? Uh, I'll do something with it. So it wasn't about the blanket, it was about buying it from this uh, uh, Indian lady. And so, uh, yeah, so we had all these blankets uh, not a whole lot, but a few of the people that he really liked. So, yeah,
1: yeah. and then you're reminded of them when you every time you use the mm-hmm. blanket, and mm-hmm. yeah, it just makes it more of a special item to have for sure.
2: And when you buy it and a lot of times they were from people who would who would uh weave uh they didn't knit but they they were weaving and uh it made them so happy to sell their to sell what they made to someone that wanted it from them and so the joy of buying it is is also a memory so you're taking away a memory of a happy encounter and that's that's valuable
1: Yeah, it's especially more, if more you than, do that.
2: More than worth yeah. the money.
1: It is, especially if you do that when you're traveling as well, because it all, you know, it has that memory attached to the trip and, you know, it, it makes it really quite a special thing. Um, And you could have had that, David, if only you'd bought a basket.
0: Yeah, and I could have given the basket to someone. And every time they looked at the basket, they could have remembered me. And every time I went to their house and looked at the basket, I would have remembered the interaction (laughs) I had with the basket weaver. It becomes this intricate web of craft culture.
1: Exactly. (laughs) So
2: so do you you, uh, knit or weave or crochet or all of the above?
1: Uh, I don't I don't weave I mean I could (laughs) I could try um but I I I crochet and knit mainly um my mum has a shop um where she sells you know crafts equipment basically and she teaches classes and sometimes I teach there as well um so I've kind of inherited those skills from my mum do you have do you have an Etsy page you want
0: to do you have an Etsy page you want to shout out for anyone that wants (laughs) any of your handiwork
1: I do. I do have an Etsy page, but now It sounds like I've planned this, isn't it? No, I no, thought. not at all. Not at all. This no, is, no, this no. is
0: organic. It's organic.
1: <laughs> I do. I do. Um. I, it's well. Do, shall I say it or? Yes, of course. We can put it. Absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll put. It, 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 I'll put. I'll put, I'll put it in
0: the description as well of the YouTube video. Okay.
1: Thank you. You don't have to. <laughs> That's very kind of you. Um. Yeah. It's not. It's not. You know. As. As good as i would love it to be but i'm working on it i'm getting there all these side projects
0: (laughs) yes i i think that everyone should have side projects because i don't know the the stuff that you hone with your own hands it, it it's meaningful in your life it could be meaningful in the life of others and it doesn't need to be um like what comes out of a factory in fact it's better like it's what do the japanese call it i'm gonna butcher this now wabi sabi is that it I'm Googling it. Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry.
1: <laughs> I'll take your word for it.
0: Wabi-sabi. I'm, I, 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 I'm getting this wrong. Huh? Good idea. <laughs> wabi-sabi. wabi-sabi. In traditional Japanese aesthetics, wabi-sabi is a worldview centered on the acceptance of transience and imperfection. The aesthetic is sometimes wow. described as of one of appreciating beauty that is imperfect, impermanent, and incomplete in nature. It's a concept derived from the Buddhist teaching of the three marks of existence. Senboen, specifically impermanence, suffering, ku, and emptiness or absence of self-nature, also ku. So they have the same name. So um, it's finding beauty in imperfection. When something's crafted in a factory, all the angles and tolerances are perfect. When someone makes something by hand, it has this rustic look, and that gives it more beauty, more of a connection to nature. I was right. It was
2: wabi-sabi. You so <laughs> I, I we were that was right, some...
1: and we d- We laughed. <laughs> <laughs> I th- I thought it, was it does something sound you ate a bit like wasabi.
2: Yes, I, that's what I was gonna say.
0: Or shabu. Sh- something you ate with sushi. Or shabu shabu. shabu. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna so th-
1: take that with me. I like that.
2: But the imperfections that ties to the actual personal person, the person doing it, the imperfection then has meaning and a connection. And so, maybe you should, uh, maybe you should tie your. Etsy in your in your crochet with uh travel and it just sounds to me like it's all connected.
1: Yeah, I think it is. I mean I've I've long ha- kind of had a dream of uh writing a book actually where which is kind of like a bigger um like an expansion on that article I was talking about where I basically go and actually do this research and meet these people who do these crafts and like make it into a much much more than a just you know thousand word article. Um, but that's, you know, that's a pipe dream for the future <laughs> when we get out of lockdown, if we ever are.
0: Yeah, travel may be cheaper. It may be easier to go more places, see more people, do more things. And people may be hungry to share their stories after a lockdown.
1: Yeah, I hope so. Um, I, it is interesting, actually. I think one of the things I will be fascinated to see is what does happen to travel post-COVID. Because I think um, when we when we all thought, after the first wave, when we all thought it was over, um, now we look back naively, <laughs> we'll think, um, I think everyone was, you know, ready to just jump on the next plane to anywhere. But I wonder now that it's gone on for so long, if um, perhaps people's, um, you know, the way they process travel has changed.
0: I, I do think, uh, for me anyway, one thing that I loved about lockdown, was strangers staying six feet away from me. Um, I mean, I would take 12 feet. Like, you know, they could double it if they wanted to. And that's one thing about traveling, especially in Europe and in, in East Asia, that there are lots of crowds in public spaces, especially big tourist attractions, where you're really crammed in like sardines with people at a lot of um, mm-hmm. like museums and, and – uh, And that would be one thing that I would be hesitant to get just right back on the horse with, with travel, is going someplace that's going to be mobbed, where I'll be surrounded shoulder to shoulder with people in an indoor environment. Now, I think that traveling to natural wildernesses, like your trip to the north of Scotland, that may be what people prefer for a bit before the typical haunts become more habitated.
1: Yeah, I think you're definitely right. I think um, people are going to be a lot more cautious on the whole. Um, yeah, and, I and you know, I mean, obviously, so many um, airlines have had to ground their fleets for such a long time and make so many redundancies. I don't know if, you know, we will be able to just immediately go back to the kind of level of travel we were seeing before. Um, but, yeah, I'll be I'll be very interested to see how it goes. I don't know how it is in the USA. I don't know if you've had what kind of travel advice you guys have... Got right now.
0: I think within the country, it's basically wide open. But um, a lot of international travel depends on the country that you're traveling to. Coming back, I mean, we've been pretty laissez-faire about how we've handled this. I think that coming back, there's no quarantine process, there's no testing. So, um, wow. yeah. Um, Dicey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: But also, also, the United States. Uh, in the states, uh, uh, every state is different so some states are uh more careful than other states and then within a state uh small towns and then are pretty loose uh bigger cities you'll see a lot more masks and and it really it really is variable and we're in the west uh in the wild and woolly west <laughs> and uh so you go out in these small towns and some some of those people they, they've never worn a mask and they don't care uh, they're they're pretty independent, and I'm sure you have mm-hmm. that in the small villages and in in uh, in England as well. You know, they're very independent, yeah. like like the Cornwall miners. You know, <laughs> they're going to do what they do.
0: <laughs> you know about them now. I have. I saw.
2: A... I, I saw. I saw <laughs> a, uh, I've never been there, but I did see a, a documentary on on the miners and and their their food and everything. And it was fascinating. And it, and it really struck me that uh, when you travel, I haven't traveled that much. I've only have been to a few, just just China is all. But uh, one thing I've no, I've I've met a lot of people from other countries, and what I've noticed is that uh, the culture may be different. Uh, maybe their language is different. Maybe their their etiquette is different. Uh, but down deep, people are pretty much the same.
1: Mm. They're that's nice. True.
2: They're good people. They're they're friendly. They're supportive, and there's good people everywhere. And that that's what's that's what's really beautiful about seeing people from other countries. As I haven't traveled much, and like David said, uh, like you said, uh, we're going to be talking to a travel writer, and I really don't like to travel.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, is it that you don't like to travel, or that you just? Yeah. I mean, traveling within the USA is like, you know, me traveling within Europe. There's like uh, it's such a vast, vast country with such different um, cultures and different landscapes. I would just, you know, if I lived in the USA, I'm sure I'd have left the country a lot, a lot fewer times than I have. So I don't blame you.
2: Well, like I said, I like the destination. I just don't like getting there.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, I understand. (laughs) but actually there's nothing like a long haul plane flight yeah there's a lot of
2: people here who in their bucket list uh they want to like go to every state park in the united states and that's like almost a that would that's a lot of state parks it's a big country yeah or they want to go to every every uh, baseball stadium you know uh and so there's a lot of diversity just in the united states so it it would take a some people a whole lifetime they'll get a uh, rv a recreational vehicle and just uh, and travel uh all over the place east coast to west coast it's a couple thousand miles so it's interesting even north and south
1: where would you go that you haven't been in the usa where's your like top place that you'd like to go
0: where would you like to go david I don't I've been to all the good places. So <laughs> I would say I, I would say out of 50 states, I've been to 40 of them. Um and wow. the nine in the contiguous US that I haven't been to, they're skippable. Now, the one that I haven't been to that's not in the contiguous US is Alaska, which I would real I would really love to go to Alaska because mm. it's a giant expansive wilderness. It's like the last frontier. Um I just haven't made it up there because of distance and cost um so one of the most beautiful places i've been is hawaii um Mm. it's truly just like a tropical paradise and it just happens to be u.s soil and and as far as other places within the u.s that i haven't gone that i'd like to go i would like to see puerto rico just because it's a territory Mm. but it's also a caribbean island so that would be nice to see as well but Alaska, as far as proper United States, is the one state I haven't been to that I don't consider skippable. Although I've never been to South Dakota either. And it would be interesting <laughs> to see the Badlands and Mount Rushmore and, and I mean, those sites. But I, South Dakota is somewhat uh, off-putting to me on a cultural level. It just, It's a little regressive there.
2: You know, Emily, you've been okay. to you've, <laughs> you've driven through Death Valley, right? In in uh, Arizona, yes. California, Arizona. It's kind of like when you start on Death Valley, and after you're there for like an hour or so, you go, "It's the same thing." <laughs> is there any difference? This is, no. When does you it have, end? <laughs> when does it end? You know, and uh, South Dakota is a lot like that. Yeah, uh, the the, oh, the really? Dakotas. Oh, yeah. And but, of Nebraska. But Nebraska's corn. I mean, corn, 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 corn. Mm-hmm. So the state there's, tree there's some, of Nebraska,
0: yeah, the, the state tree of Nebraska is the telephone pole.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Is, yeah. Have you been to Nebraska?
0: I, I have been to Nebraska, yes. There's, uh, because I didn't it, know
1: if you wanted to name check the skippable
0: because one. It na- because it Neighbors, Colorado, I've driven through Nebraska on my way to someplace better. Not that Nebraska's oh, yeah. bad, but that there are better places to visit in America.
1: Yeah, some, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah I'm going to alienate myself from uh, 20% <laughs> of the states in this nation. And I think that no discussion of travel would be complete without getting into arcane politics. So I have to ask you, how has Brexit affected your ability to travel internationally?
1: Oh, (laughs) getting sweaty palms. Um, Well, it's hard to say obviously, because um, we've, although we, I say we, I personally didn't vote to leave um, the EU but of course the majority did. Um, so that decision obviously happened in 2016 and it's taken four or five years to really actually, you know, get to a point where we're actually leaving. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, the slowest, slowest exit to a party ever. Um, so, and because that's happened obviously during the pandemic, there hasn't really been a chance for us to, to see how that has actually affected the process of travel. Um, I, I feel like what will probably happen is that we'll, you know, we'll find a happy medium where it's not going to be as much of a pain as we have to get a visa to go, you know, to our EU countries. Um, I don't know that for sure, but um, I think it, it will definitely make, you know, because I've, I've traveled a lot through Europe and often you don't, no one asks for your passport if you're going between countries, you know, um, maybe that's just, the borders that I've crossed I think there definitely are borders where they would ask for your passport just to see it but it's so easy to just go through through one to the other you get a train you can go through them and I'm not sure how that will end up being um after Brexit I know that it's not you know it's not it's not gonna make it easier basically um but I've still got because I renewed my passport quite recently so I've still got one of the old like EU colored passports but now everyone that's renewing them now is getting the a navy blue one the brexit passport
0: so so are you <laughs> happy well, that to...
1: there's any difference
0: and they'll still <laughs> look at good. it and um are you upset this this is i don't like this i got a re- renewed my passport recently that you lose the stamps from the old one.
1: Oh god it's devastating and it is
0: pretty devastating because my new one of course has zero stamps in it now and i feel like i've never been anywhere
1: you get stamps, um, you don't get stamps within the USA, do you?
0: No, just um, the Canada and Mexico borders, they'll stamp, they'll, you know, check your passport and then on um, air travel, anywhere else. I've never actually driven all the way through Mexico, Mm -hmm. so uh, I wasn't that brave to drive into Guatemala.
1: That would would be, that would be pretty amazing. I've never been to Mexico, actually, but I would, I would really like to. I, I really love Central and South America. I feel like that's my kind of favorite part of the world um but yeah have you been a number of times or just one no
0: uh i have an opportunity now that covid's over a friend of mine just has a has a place in costa rica so i've never been to costa rica and that's my next i think international trip just because it's nice one to have lodging taken care of and it's right by the beach and so that'll probably be my first international trip post covid
1: Mm. okay but, but not Mexico.
0: No, I mean, Mexico is a beautiful country with beautiful people and some of my favorite food. So, uh, I mean, I'll make it back there it at some point in time.
1: Yeah, it is the best food for sure. Um, but what what would you say is, because I want to know more about Colorado. What are the things to see in Colorado?
0: So I, I was asking Obviously you about... Obviously, I
1: the- know the boulders. <laughs> The, yeah the mountains and the, yeah, but you you tell you tell me because I'll just sound ignorant.
0: <laughs> so um, you've been skiing, haven't you, Michael? I've never been skiing no. in my life and I was born here. <laughs> and people see that as you come to Colorado to ski, but there are hundreds of outdoor activities here that don't involve skiing. so i'm I'm an avid hiker. Uh, a lot of people in my family are avid fishers. No one really hunts but there's hunting here as well. Um, And some of the best river rafting in the world is here in Colorado, because we're the headwaters of four major rivers. So it all starts in the Rocky Mountains and we have the Rio Grande, the Platte, the Colorado, and the Arkansas. And they all start in little ponds 14,000 feet in the air and they all trickle down into giant raging rivers. Well, as they're trickling down the mountain, you get in a boat and you slide down the mountainside inside a canyon on a river, and it's a uh, it's a real thrill ride. So there's plenty of wow. outdoor activities to do, and Denver it may not be London, but it's a very cosmopolitan city um, with two million people, uh, maybe closer to three. I haven't checked the population recently, but so there's there's plenty of culture, and it's a progressive city. Um, so I would say if you're looking for an urban experience, Denver's the choice, but Otherwise, anything west of Denver is where you probably end up being your playground. If you go to Colorado, that would be my back of the envelope analysis.
2: As far as, far as the outdoor sports, outdoor sports. Yeah. And actually the outdoors. When you go west, I, I think people who've never seen the Rocky Mountains, uh, maybe you've seen the Alps, you know, and in Switzerland. But uh, you're driving east, you're driving west from the east. And I remember the first time I came into Colorado is that of course, David was was born here, but I was not. And when I came, I remember, I says, oh, there's clouds. Uh, it's going to, it's going to be stormy. I says, wait a minute, those aren't clouds in the sky. That's the top of the mountains. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they are wow. so huge. I go, whoa. And uh, so when you, in Denver, you don't, when you get like, we're in Golden and Wheat Ridge, uh you don't really see the mountains what you see is called the foothills and so the foothills are really higher than some of the mountains in some of the some of the uh plains countries but then as you go up you begin to realize you go over this this hill then all of a sudden there's another mountain then another one then another just keeps going up so they're very very huge and it and extends from from mexico all the way up into canada and uh, it's just it's just massive and um and also, there's there's alpine skiing, uh, there's cross country skiing, there's snowshoeing, uh, there's tobogganing, there's all and there's uh, skateboarding. Uh, I mean, uh, snow uh, snowboarding. The, yeah, snowboarding. So there's all different kinds of outdoor sports for the snow, and then there's hiking, you know, and then there's there's rafting. So there is and there's a lot of biking. People do a lot of lot of street bike and also uh, cross country biking. A lot of a lot of outdoor stuff, and the the history. Yeah, you know, there is a lot of history. Uh, but when we say history, I was thinking about this. Like in London, uh, you have fantastic his, museums, and we're proud of our museums. They say, "Look, this is 150 years old." In London, they'll say, "Yeah, look, this is 1,500 <laughs> years old." <laughs> Big difference. <laughs> So to us, yeah. 100, 200 years is, whoa, you know. But then that long ago, there was nobody here. I well, mean, the, a thousand, well, there was Native. thousand years ago. There was First there was Nation native, people, yeah. First Nation people here, yeah. But there's nothing. You know, and there's ruins. There's ruins uh, that we have down south. we have ruins here too.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. That is one of the things about London is that it, it is so old. Mm um but yeah I was thinking about this the other day actually what's quite interesting about because I think um obviously European capital cities you've got some that just are absolutely smack you in the face because they're so beautiful like Paris and Rome um but London is not one of those I don't think um but I think the difference is that a lot of um old European capital cities have like a um an old town and that's where sort of really amazing beautiful um stunning architecture is and the ancient history is and often lots of those bits are pedestrianized whereas london doesn't really have that like everything in london is kind of mixed in together and we've got old bits amongst really new bits and everything's a mismatch and um so i don't think there's one particular bit of london that kind of gives you that wow factor like you get in a lot of other european cities but london you have to kind of work a bit harder to like really enjoy it but you two haven't been have you
0: i have been to london
1: oh you have sorry michael michael hasn't been yes and what were your impressions
0: i enjoyed london i was uh doing some work at the time so i didn't really have time to do all the sightseeing um but i liked it i uh i went to some pubs (laughs) i ate some fried food (laughs) i i was in uh tall buildings in the financial district i stayed on. High Street, Kensington. This is t- more than 10 years ago. High Street, Kensington. That's where I stayed. It's um, very fancy. And I was there for about 48 hours. So I wish I could have spent more time in London. But uh, that was my only trip to London. So I didn't see it the way a tourist would. So uh, that's my story. <laughs> I feel. Like, I feel like I missed out on the best parts of it.
1: I mean it's so hard it's so hard to because there are so many different parts of it and it is basically like a city that's made up of loads of different towns so um you can you know you you can get a completely different experience depending on which part of london you're in it's not like a, a city where there's like the top these are the top sites and this is this because everything is very um in its own sort of little sections um i live in um camden camden town have you do you know anything of camden no it's like it's quite an interesting place because it's it's um it's on the canal like we have this canal called regents canal that runs through from one from west london to east london or obviously i don't know which way it it, to the east obviously because that's where the coast is um and camden is on this canal and it's it's got three locks that make make up the sort of sprawl of it um it used to be it's a it's a market now like it's i think it might be the biggest market in london I think I'll go as far as to say that um but it started off in like the 60s as a sort of arts and crafts um place and now it's grown to being like a huge it's sell, you know Camden market sells everything you could ever imagine food and all sorts and that kind of thing but it's always also been like a real hub of like
0: Uh, we've lost you, Emily. Bummer. Oh. oh, oh you're back. back.
1: You're back. back. You're back. Sorry. You're back.
0: That's okay. You said Camden's right. always been a real hub of, and then you cut out.
1: <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, sorry. I'll draw. Yeah. It's always what I said was it's always been a real hub of um, like alternative culture so it's always it's had like a really lively music scene um it's a it's a big home of of punks just, yeah um yeah. there's some punk there's a few punks that just live on the bridge over the lock um and that's they're just there all the time like they're never not there i don't know what they do at night like they're, they're not in a structure
0: they live on the
1: bridge they just live on the bridge yeah and they have like one of them has a sign that says help a punk get drunk um and you just give him money and <laughs> presumably he uses that for alcohol <laughs> um but yeah it's obviously it's got a huge a huge music heritage as well there's some really famous venues here that are like sort of some of london's best venues i live right across the street from one that's like a jazz venue um amy winehouse was obviously a real like a, lo- a famous local resident and it's yeah it's a really fun place it's quite a touristy place um so it's not really a very normal place to live um but my housemate and I live here because it's convenient for where our jobs are but it's a very exciting place and it's really like close to some some of London's best green spaces as well so I think we have a good a good setup and it's right by London Zoo so
0: nice if you want <laughs> yeah you could look at the animals <laughs> in the summertime
1: you can see a lot of them from outside just in you can see from the park you can get a little free zoo oh wow without even paying
0: (laughs) so if you were to uh if you were to have an unlimited amount of money and you could buy a country house anywhere outside of london in the uk where would it be
1: oh wow what a question um a country house i really like um well I mean the Cotswolds is the obvious the obvious answer they're just like a really lovely beautiful kind of rural part of part of them um, the country where it's just like if you imagine like typical beautiful rolling hillside English countryside that's the Cotswolds so I might go there um but I'm actually I'm I'm from Essex so um yeah, and Essex is obviously it well, in the UK, Essex is famous because there's a TV show about uh it's a bit like Geordie No, not Geordie Shore, Jersey Shore. Okay. Geordie Shore was our Okay, yeah, our I'm familiar with that, but,
0: uh familiar with MTV's The Challenge. <laughs> That's one of my guilty pleasure TV shows. And I think they had some Geordie Shore participants in recent seasons.
1: Yeah, so we have a show like that about Essex, um, where I'm from. But Essex is actually, just a really lovely sort of um, part of the country and it's got so much countryside and it's very rural so I would a lovely Essex mansion would be just fine for me too.
0: (laughs) See if if I were to answer the same question I sort of set myself up for the question Uh, for Colorado it would be in a town called Salida so it's one of the most Mm -hmm. beautiful places in Colorado but it's not that close to any skiing so any place that's beautiful and close to skiing is very developed so i would choose salida because i don't ski so i don't need that and there's still tracts of land available still large ranches um you know hundreds and hundreds of acres with huge ranch houses so if i had a fictional amount let's say a hundred million dollars i might go down there and throw some money around to get myself a little ranch that would be that would be my country house
2: but in salida sounds lovely if you- of you look west, and you have the whole range of the Collegiate Peaks, uh, which is just gorgeous. And you go down south, uh, south of Cotabaxi, uh, you have the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, mm-hmm. again, which is beautiful. Sangre de Cristo is Spanish for the blood of Christ, because in, in, uh, in the morning, I guess, uh, or in the evenings, you have the sun, the, the mountains just turn red. Because of the oh, evening wow. sun. It's just it's just beautiful.
0: And they're all over fourteen thousand feet. So, yeah, all, <laughs> so they're pretty big mountains. Um, fourteen thousand wow. feet it looks elevation. Huge mountains. Yeah. 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 Which
2: fourteen you know, all of them you got bing, 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 bing. And yeah, it's it's beautiful. You're right, David. And the Arkansas River runs right right through Salida.
0: And if is, you go over the pass, it's well, the so world's great. this is fun fact, fun nature naturalist fact. It's the world's only Alpine wetland desert. So it's alpine because it's above ten thousand feet yeah. elevation. It's a wetland because there's so much groundwater that it's a swamp, and it's a desert because they get less than ten inches of rain a year. So it's this fascinating, That's like area crazy. for birds and like water species, but there's no rain. It's it's a fascinating area.
2: Are you talking about South Park? Uh, the oh, Sa-
0: wow. the San Luis Valley.
2: San so, oh, oh yeah, yep. Well, so South
0: it's a, Park is wow, sounds, fascinating. Yeah, too. that's so interesting. It's an anomaly.
1: Yeah.
2: The well, South Park is interesting too. You drive <laughs> through the mountains, you drive through the mountains through, through Kenosha Pass, and all of a sudden you're in the mountains, you know, and then all of a sudden you make turn a corner, then all of a sudden it's huge. Uh, it's just miles and miles of just a flat, flat, uh, what we would call a flat valley right in the middle of the mountains. Called wow. South Park, and uh, they South say, Park. uh, yeah, there's a movie or there's a, a TV animated show, animated TV show called South Park. You probably don't get it in the UK, but uh, anyway, it's, it's a beautiful country. Oh, we do. <laughs> yeah, oh, you do, oh, you do. Okay, it's, yeah. it's from there.
0: It's, so, it's, so it's Trey Parker Park. and Matt Stone's the creators oh, really? of South Park, they went to high school, um, not far from where I went to high school. Uh, a competing school in the same county so I would play uh, I I didn't play football but my high school would play football games against their high school (laughs) that's how close they are (laughs) and that's why their show is called South Park because it made an impression on them
2: and they are there are colorful people down there too very colorful uh, people all over Colorado but
1: not animated
2: (laughs) no not animated. Well, animated in a different way. In some <laughs>
1: senses of the word, yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: Just as foul-mouthed, not quite oh, as animated. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're <laughs> at an hour and this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for joining us today, Emily. We really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. It's been so so interesting. Thank you for having me.
0: Yes. And uh, is there anything you'd like to say before we go? Maybe one piece of travel advice for all the people out there.
1: Uh, One piece of travel advice, Mm, you don't have to go far to travel. I'm going to leave it specifically vague.
0: (laughs) Great. So just remember that. And uh, we'll put all of your socials in the description of this video and on the podcast description as well, Um, just so people can check out your writing and, of course, your Etsy page.
1: Of course. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Most importantly.
2: (laughs) They have to visit your Etsy page. You, yes. need, you need to have uh, some, something made by Emily.
1: Yes. <laughs> oh, thanks. I can't wait for all the customers. <laughs> yes.
0: Um, so I'm playing the outro music, and Michael usually closes the show with his tagline. So do you want to do that for us?
1: Yes.
2: As we have done today, Sequoia, keep on talking, and listen more than you talk and try to understand what the other person is saying.
0: Thank you. we will see you guys next time. Bye, everyone.